This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hopefully I catch you today out for a walk or maybe riding a bike or even better, paddling in a kayak in the ocean somewhere. Rest assured that Exercise is commonly recommended for people that have osteoarthritis. There have been hundreds of studies which have shown the benefits of exercise, including improvements in pain and function, quality of life, and a range of other outcomes for people that have osteoarthritis. Unfortunately, more often than not, exercise is often delivered suboptimally, and healthcare professionals are often unclear about how to deliver exercise effectively for people like you with hip or knee osteoarthritis. That may seem like a basic and fundamental aspect of your care, but we as health professionals could do a lot better. And that's the focus of this week's topic, where we're joined by Melanie Holden to discuss something that you probably take as fundamentally very basic, but there's a lot of controversy and misunderstanding in our field. Dr. Melanie Holden is a professor of musculoskeletal rehabilitation at Keele University, and it's great to have her along for the show. Hello, Mel. Welcome to the show. Thank you, David. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, great pleasure to see you after such a long while, and I look forward to seeing you face-to-face very, very soon. But before we get into the content, which I, I know our listeners will be really dear to hear about, I just wanted to get to know you a little bit better. Can you just tell me a little bit more about your background and what a typical day might look like for you? 
Yeah, so I'm a physiotherapist by background. So I spent the first five years of my career working clinically in the UK within the NHS. And that's where I developed a real interest in rehabilitation for musculoskeletal conditions. So things like non-surgical, non-drug treatments, for people with aches and pains in their joints. So I moved into a research role after five years where I joined the School of Medicine at Keele University and I've been there ever since. So I've progressed from being a research physiotherapist to a PhD student, to a postdoc, to a senior research fellow. And just in January, I got my professorship. Congratulations. Thank you. So just in terms of a typical day, I don't think I've got a typical day. And that's one of the reasons I love my job so much. It's so varied, but it's predominantly research that I do. And it's just trying to juggle lots of different research projects that are ongoing at the time at different stages. So it could be that a studies in setup. So we've got to travel different places to train healthcare professionals to deliver interventions. The study could be in recruitment and it's a lot of problem solving a lot of the time about trying to maintain recruitment when data's in. It's about data analysis, reading, peer reviewing, journal articles. Also, at the same time, trying to keep an eye on funding applications to get the next grants in. And also supervising and supporting other people to progress their clinical academic careers. So supervising PhD students and also postdoc researchers as well. You know, it's, it sounds, as you say, like there's a lot of variety. And I think for many academics, that's the piece of being an academic that they most like. But it, I guess it's also the double-edged sword that you're never done. So how do you, how do you deal with that? And this is more me just asking for my own personal insight and advice, but how, how do you deal with the fact that the to-do list keeps getting longer? Yeah, I think it's a struggle, isn't it? And it feels like it's it's getting bigger and bigger. So <clears throat> how I try and do it is I always like, I'd like to make lists and try and prioritise. So it's things that are high priority with the shortest deadlines move to the top of the list and anything else it moves to the bottom of the list. So so sometimes it can take a while to get things done that, that don't ever quite reach the top of that priority list. And, and that can sometimes be quite hard to deal with because you feel like you've got a guilt on your shoulder about the things that never quite get to the top. But that's that's how I deal with it. Yeah, it sounds very similar to what I do. And that, that guilt is all self-driven as well. It's very unhealthy behavior. But anyway, well, let's not get into that. Yes. When you're not doing your day job, what do you like to do? So I've got three boys at home. So I've got a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old and a 7-year-old. So they keep me very busy outside of work as well. And I suppose that helps me switch off as well after work. Uh, so a lot of my time I'm looking after them. But when I do have spare time, I'm enjoying having tennis lessons at the moment. I like to go walking in the countryside. And I also like to go shopping with my friends when I can. Wonderful. And um, for the for the boys, do they have any particular interests that you end up being, I guess, responsible for getting them there? So we've got swimming, football, cricket, tennis. <laughs> so uh, for the it, usual. It never ends, does it? No. Mel, if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? I'd like to think that I'm kind and caring. I feel passionate. I'm hardworking and I'm conscientious as well. 
all wonderful, wonderful qualities. And I think probably stand you in good stead for the work that you do. Now, the main focus of today is obviously just talking about exercise as, as it relates to knee and hip osteoarthritis. But we're just going to start with a few context setting type questions so that we can frame the topic. The work that you've just published in the Osteoarthritis and Cartilage Journal was about therapeutic exercise. What is that and how does that differ from exercise or physical activity? Yeah, so there's there's lots of kind of terms that you will hear in the literature that are, are kind of related, but a little bit different. So when we hear terms, just kind of general physical activity, that's really talking about any kind of activity that uses muscles that results in energy expenditure or using up your energy. Exercise is a subset of that. And you do exercise in a kind of planned or structured way to try and improve or maintain fitness. And therapeutic exercise is, again, a subset of that. And, and you'd be completing that planned structured activity for health benefits. So in the case of osteoarthritis, that could be, for example, to try and improve pain or improve physical function. Wonderful explanation. Are there any other benefits of exercise for osteoarthritis other than improvement of pain and function? Or are they, are they singularly what we would what we should be focused on? There's lots of benefits from exercise that we can see in the literature. It's interesting when we look at the literature around exercise for osteoarthritis, because when we do systematic reviews, so when we search the literature systematically, we see that there's there's lots of trials. And actually, there's over 130 trials now of exercise for osteoarthritis. And that's mainly for osteoarthritis of the knee. But that general kind of body of evidence does support that exercise does have additional benefits to pain and physical function. So it's also got other physical benefits. So, for example, it can increase strength. It can increase walking speed, walking distance. It's got psychological benefits. It can improve mood. It can improve self-efficacy or confidence in being able to do something. And it's also got other benefits. So research would suggest it can reduce the use of analgesics or painkillers, for example. It can reduce the number of times somebody goes to the GP, as well as having broader health benefits, which can also help other chronic conditions that people with osteoarthritis quite commonly have. The exercise sounds like a wonderful thing. And as I guess the old adage would say, exercise is medicine. But it's not routinely or regularly being delivered by healthcare professionals or at least being advocated for why do you think that is yeah it's, it's interesting isn't it so exercise is medicine and we can see that the, the benefits of exercise in the literature i think it's also important to note that the effect sizes from exercise even in the literature can be quite small and they can reduce over time so there's, there's things that we do know about exercise, but there's also things that we don't know. So we still don't really know how exercise works, for example. So to try and maximise the benefits from exercise, it's really important to try and deliver it as best we can in clinical practice so that patients get the most benefit. But like you say, that sometimes doesn't happen or it can be very inconsistent in how exercise seems to be delivered in clinical practice. And there's been quite a lot of research now that's explored why that's the case. And it can be around the attitudes and beliefs of the healthcare professionals and the exercise deliverers. So 
say, for example, people might not see osteoarthritis as a high priority disease. They might think that nothing can be done about osteoarthritis. So there's, there's no point. It's just going to get worse. There might be a lack of knowledge. So healthcare professionals have talked about not quite knowing how best to deliver exercise for musculoskeletal conditions generally and a lack of training actually about how to deliver good exercise. So there's a, a few of the things. I think the other thing that's also important to know is that generally, although all the clinical guidelines for osteoarthritis do recommend exercise as a core treatment for people, they don't go into a lot of detail about how to actually deliver exercise. And so that might be a reason as well that there's that lack of clear guidance. And also, although there's all these trials, there's 130 trials, how the exercise interventions that are tested in those trials isn't necessarily described very well. So if you're then going to try and replicate that intervention in clinical practice, it's difficult because you haven't been given all the information. So I think there's lots of reasons why it, it, it can be delivered not as well as it could be or inconsistently. Yeah, it's a great, great explanation of a very, very complex area. And I guess while we're touching upon, I guess, barriers to implementing uh, exercise in practice, how can we fix those? You know, what, what can be done about overcoming those barriers? I think it's always challenging to change clinical behavior. And we know it's kind of nuanced and that there's, there's different factors, kind of system factors, as well as factors relating to the individual. But for a starting point, members of the RC Rehabilitation Discussion Group felt that this was an important area and that we needed to try and do something about it. There was a first step to that. We developed a task force and really we had two aims to try and address that. So first of all, we wanted to develop some more detailed recommendations about how people could deliver best practice exercise in clinical practice. And then we also felt we wanted to develop some kind of toolbox or a toolkit that people could use in clinical practice, that they had the resources that were freely available and ready to use to really try and help them deliver exercise in accordance to the recommendations that we've developed. Wonderful. So, the, I mean, there was a obviously a large process involved that you went through, as you said, with a large group of experts. Can you sort of step us through the different stages that you went through? And then we'll, I guess, get a little bit more into the detail of what those recommendations were. Yeah. So like you say, there was there were several steps involved. So we wanted to ensure that the recommendations were informed by the evidence. So we firstly did a review of the literature and we synthesised findings in the literature that related to exercise for osteoarthritis and also tried to pull together some of the recommendations for general physical activity. So that was the first step. We then convened a large international panel of experts. So in the end, we had 318 experts from 43 different countries, and that included patient representatives. And we firstly asked them to watch a video that summarised where the evidence was up to. And then we asked them to develop up to 10 statements about how they felt exercise should be delivered within clinical practice. So those statements came back. We did an initial round of cleaning the statements. 
So, for example, some of the statements came back, they weren't written in English. Some of them weren't quite clear. Some of them weren't quite grammatically correct. So we, so we cleaned them. So they were kind of understandable. And then we kind of analysed them thematically. So we had a look at the content of those statements and we grouped statements that seemed to be focused on the same topic. We then did a consensus survey. So we sent an electronic survey to all of our 318 experts and we asked them to rate for importance each of those statements. So in that way, we retained the statements that the expert panel felt were most important and we got rid of the ones that we didn't feel were most important. So that ended up with a smaller number of statements. And, at, and when we'd got those statements, we did a final round of thematic analysis just to make sure that all the statements that we were left were all, all kind of mapped to the same domains. And we did a final round of cleaning. So if there was any that we felt actually we didn't quite understand what the meaning was, uh, we removed those. So after that process, we ended up with 54 statements that mapped to 11 broader domains about the important areas that needed to be addressed when delivering exercise. So what were they, Mel? So they were firstly to use an evidence-based approach, to consider exercise in the context of living with osteoarthritis and pain, to undertake a comprehensive baseline assessment with a follow-up, to set goals, to consider the type of exercise and the dose of exercise, how to modify and progress exercise, to individualize exercise, to optimize the delivery of exercise, to focus on exercise adherence, and also to provide education about osteoarthritis and the role of exercise. Wonderful. Now, that all sounds very, very practical, thoughtful, and obviously a hell of a lot of work went into pulling all of that together. One of our colleagues, Haxby Abbott, has written a thoughtful editorial, which I hope you've seen, I guess, as editorials do, finding holes in what you did. Do you want to comment a little bit on, I guess, Haxby's concerns, particularly, I guess, as it relates to the concreteness of what you've said and the specificity in terms of, you know, providing practical suggestions with regards to actually how to do this and what's best. I've read his editorial and, and I think it's a great editorial. I think it's very well written. And I think that the points that Haxby's making are valid in, in that some of the, the 54 statements that we've developed are still a little bit non-specific. And I think that that's probably because some of the evidence that underpins those statements is also a bit non-specific. So some of the evidence base around exercise can be contradictory, like Haxby points out. Some, you know, we, we don't know what exercise works the best. We don't know whether exercise is better if it's supervised or unsupervised. So, so, so we can only be as specific as the evidence would, would let us be. There's a, a kind of comment from Haxby about some of the information isn't really kind of gone into in a lot of detail in the paper, and, and I, I agree. I think that that's probably due to a, a word count restriction from the manuscripts. And I think that when we look at the body of evidence overall, so we've got this paper that publishes the recommendations. We've already got the narrative review. 
that synthesizes and summarizes the evidence. And we've also got another paper that Belinda Lawford led to look at what the content of the toolbox will, will look like. So, so when we've actually developed the toolbox, looking at all that kind of body of evidence will we'll hopefully uh, pull everything together, really. So we can't summarize everything in one document. And I think that the other point, again, is about specificity. And one of the recommendations is that we do need to individualize exercise. So again, we do need to give some more specific advice, but we've also got to allow exercise to be individualised and it will be based on the, the assessment of the, of the patient that's being treated. Yeah, I think that last point is really, really important because I think oftentimes, particularly the guidelines, it looks like one size should fit all and really takes away, I think, some of the, the clinical nuance and the importance of personalising this to the individual it presents to you. So that last piece that you were just talking about, about the toolkit, this is presumably something that's going to be designed to to help with health professionals uh, delivering exercise prescriptions for people with osteoarthritis. Is that going to be a, a web-based tool? What is it? And are you able to explain a little bit more about that and when it might be available? Yeah, I don't know if you've seen the, the paper that we've recently published by Belinda Lawford. So with our panel of experts, so one of the things we asked them about was how should exercise be delivered? We also asked them what resources were important to be able to help the delivery. And we did a similar thing where we asked them to, to give us some suggestions and we've analysed that thematically. Um, so there's things in there that they, they want resources to be freely available, easily accessible, available for people uh, with different languages, for example. So we've got that as a starting point. So we've got the recommendations, we've got an idea of what the content and the structure of the toolbox should be. What we're going to do at ORSI, at our meeting for the rehabilitation discussion group, is that we will be looking for volunteers actually to help put together that toolbox. So we think it's going to be an online toolbox and we think that the structure of it, if we're thinking about um, you know, tabs on a, on a web page, for example, there'll probably be a tab for each of those recommendations, um, apart from the one that talks about using evidence-based approach because we want all of the toolbox to be um, evidence-based. So what we'll be trying to do is pull together resources about each of the recommendations that hopefully um, healthcare professionals and exercise deliverers will be able to go to and pull out and use in their clinical practice. But like I say, we will be talking about that more at RC and we will be looking for um, volunteers to help with that process. So if anybody is interested, please do get in touch because we'd love to hear from you. Wonderful. Thanks, Mel. And uh, yeah, for anybody out there who's particularly interested in that space, look up Mel's details through the podcast. But obviously, as it was said in the introduction, she's based at Kew University. So it sounds like there's a fair bit of work to to move forward with that. And hopefully a lot of the practical pieces that you will have there in the toolkit will be really helpful with regards to delivery of therapeutic exercise. That's obviously largely targeted towards health professionals who are prescribing this. And we know that there are vast improvements that can occur there. Are there any particular messages that you think are really valuable for our consumers, our patients to hear as it relates to that? Yeah, so I think for, for patients, if you're wanting to 
start exercise. If you've got any concerns or if you've got any worries, then do go and seek advice from a healthcare provider or an exercise um, deliverer. So for example, a fitness trainer, depending on where you are. And they would be able to, to assess you to make sure that it would be safe for exercise to be completed, uh, which it probably would. And then they'd be able to give you more details around it, a personalised exercise plan, hopefully. But you don't have to see a healthcare professional. So if you feel you know you want to have a go, then you can have a go. I think that the tip would be just to, to start slowly and just to, to listen to your body. And there are already lots of helpful resources around starting to exercise if you've got osteoarthritis. So they're available online. And I would just say, just look for information from a reputable organisation like a, a charity. So, so just for example, versus arthritis, I've got a very nice information leaflet called Keep Moving. And that's got lots of hints and tips and suggestions about how to start exercising with joint pain. That's fantastic, Mel. And so what we might do is get you just to email that through to us and we'll include that in the show notes for the podcast so that hopefully people can ac- access that readily. And as Mel's saying, Versus Arthritis is the UK charity that provides a lot of support for people who live with arthritis, but also researchers who are working in this space. All right. So just to wrap up, and I haven't managed time particularly well, so I'm just going to go through a couple of these key questions that I like to focus on if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare mel what would you do so i I think for me i would take more of a preventative approach so as a mom with small boys get frustrated at how little physical activity they do in schools for example there's not much physical activity that's embedded in workplaces and in working days So, so i'd take a much more societal preventative approach to healthcare yeah i mean i think some of the uh, particularly the social determinants of health and as as it particularly relates to physical activity and food and other things in our environment have a huge impact and we're really just ignoring that aspect of healthcare and we could do a hell of a lot better. Why do you do what you do? Yeah, so I, th- I think it, this probably comes back to I had a grandpa who had quite severe rheumatoid arthritis So one of my earliest memories actually is sitting on his knee trying to pull his fingers to get them straight. But it just gave me a real insight into what living with arthritis and other musculoskeletal conditions um, can be like. And and it gave me the drive to to want to help people. And I suppose that's where I am today. Yeah, no, I I think some of those personal motivations, particularly when they relate to the family, are really strong and hopefully carry you through to continue to make a really impressive difference to the to the field that you're so pivotally involved in and finally mel is there any one piece of advice knowledge or wisdom that you'd like to give for people that have osteoarthritis i would say keep moving keep moving and keep moving your joints yeah no it's a it's a very simple message but as you've just highlighted it's often a message that's not getting through and that people aren't hearing clearly enough for a variety of reasons. And so I think your work and the the work of the team that you pulled together there hopefully will help to underpin important changes in knowledge translation and implementation of exercise for people that have osteoarthritis. Mel, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Really appreciate the work that you've done and the work that you continue to do. And it's been great having a chat. Thanks, David. It's been a pleasure. So I hope you found the content of today helpful. 
As you will have already heard from many of these episodes in the past, movement is medicine or exercise is medicine, and it's great to keep moving. But despite strong emphasis on those themes, there's often a lack of clarity and specificity as it relates to the prescription of exercise. Mel and the team that she's compiled are doing wonderful work to hopefully reduce some of that lack of clarity and improve the implementation and the delivery of exercise for people who have knee and hip osteoarthritis. As we've already explained, there are lots of benefits to exercise and obviously you'll only attain them if you do the types of exercise that have been being described. There are lots of ways that health professionals can improve their knowledge and understanding about the prescription of exercise. And so if you're working with a health professional and you don't think they're necessarily doing a good job, please feel free to share with them the podcast and or one of the links that Mel has provided so that they can hopefully improve their practice therein. There's a lot of improvements in specificity and the implementation of exercise and you know how it works and what type of exercise is best uh, that the research community needs to move on from. And a lot of dissent within the field about the magnitude of effect and what comprises that effect that, you know, as researchers will probably continue to work on. Irrespective, in the meantime, rest assured that keeping moving is still good for you. So whether you're drinking Johnny Walker, keep on walking. Whether you've listened to today's podcast and you've been out for a bike, please understand that exercise is medicine. So between now and when we next speak, please do look after yourself. And if you get the chance, someone else as well. Take care. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional.